Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hi, this is Lindy Kaiser, and welcome to Ms. Palm Change 2 went into effect in May of 2016, codifying policies around insider threat training and mitigation for contractors within the defense industrial base. Still today, there are many questions, though, about insider threat and how to stop the next Snowden or Alexis. Those are continually hot topics for security offices today. So today we're talking with Tom Langer, principal of Atlantic Security Advisors, an industrial security risk mitigation and leadership organization, and also an advisor to Sims Software. Thank you so much, Tom, for being on the show. Thank you, Lindy. Appreciate it. So I saw a presentation you did recently at the annual NCMS seminar for security professionals on insider threat. So I'm going to admit... You did it with Charlie Phelan, who I'm a big fan of, and I love you guys, but I was a little shocked that it was a standing room only crowd for what I attended. When you think about NISPOM Change 2, went into effect five years ago. So why do you think insider threat is still this hot topic that security professionals and offices are looking for more insight and information about? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, I was surprised too, as was Charlie, that we had that big of a crowd. It was an amphitheater set up in Minneapolis at NCMS. When we asked the question about how many of you here are the insider threat program senior official, almost every hand went up. So they're not only the FSO or AFSO for their facility, but they're also the the insider threat program senior official, and they're looking for any guidance they could have. So I think back to your original question, there was a lack of clarity in the eyes of most of the FSOs about what DCSA was looking for when it came to good. Companies were limiting their insider threat program to just cleared personnel because that's what DCSA was asking for. And that's really their remit. They don't have the authority to tell you to establish it across the enterprise. And then just the overall challenge in so many companies are getting traction on yet another compliance program. So to look at insider threat from our perspective and even insider risk holistically, Charlie and I felt that you really needed a whole of business or mission perspective, what would be more beneficial to the organization. So understanding what insider risk and insider threat meant to your organization. And and I think that was a key thing that we were trying to communicate to folks that you could establish this across the enterprise. You should, in fact, establish it across the enterprise because uh, in the Aaron Alexis case, he didn't differentiate between cleared and uncleared when he started shooting people in the Navy Yard. It was a threat to the whole organization. We were trying to get folks to understand what, what you really needed to train for and what you really need to be aware of. So in our definition of both insider threat and insider risk, and there's a little bit of difference between the two of them, insider threat is really capacity plus intent equals threat. So the capacity is what you hire people for or train people to. They could be, you know, a financial wizard, an engineering protege, all kinds of different skill sets that people bring to organizations. And if they don't already have them, you train them for that. That becomes their capacity. What, What can they do either good or bad, to or for your organization. And then what's their intent? And that's the variable, right? So when somebody starts to go a little off the rails, their intent is what you're trying to detect. Insider risk is actually the same capacity that we talked about a second ago, minus management oversight. So there are people that are intentionally trying to do some harm. And then there are people that are trying to do the right thing, but don't have the right guidance and they do the wrong thing or they're not being monitored properly. And that's your insider risk. So there's a lot more to this program than what you saw in Conforming Change 2. And I think people are just starved for more information. 
So yeah, and your presentation, I love that you mentioned, you know, this isn't just something that affects cleared workforce or we want to stovepipe our risk into a certain place. And you, you clearly outlined how that doesn't work. And you included examples from both the private and government sector. So why is it important for the commercial sector? And are there specific things that the two sides really can learn from each other on this topic of insider threat? Oh, absolutely. Again, Charlie and I were working on this. And, and back to your point, I'm a huge fan of Charlie, too. He's contributed so much to this profession over the years. And I was it was an honor to be working with him. And his insights to this were, were fantastic. So when we were looking at this, and he's got both government and industry perspective, where I am exclusively industry, but, but we both saw that security professionals within government or industry organizations, be it cleared industry or even commercial, they're the fulcrum in an organization because we see risk and frequently introduce the people that are taking those risks to the people that own the risk, right? So within many organizations, delegation of authority to do certain things belongs at a certain level. It could be the general counsel, it could be the head of finance, but the head of contracts, but it's usually somebody below them that's taking a risk that they're not aware of. And the security people are the ones that actually will encounter that. So as you noted a moment ago, we, we showed the standard spy cases that we're all aware of that have happened recently, and there's probably another one right around the corner. It's just the nature of probabilities. The next thing we showed was a number of commercial threats that, you know, for instance, the Sony hack. So Sony took a a very understandable artistic freedom stance on the movie parroting uh, Kim Jong-un from North Korea. And they were not going to hold the movie based on North Korea's objections to it. At the same time, they didn't understand how much risk they had within their own organization and where their weaknesses were so that they were brought down to, essentially, they took down the entire infrastructure when North Korea went after Sony. And then we showed, obviously, the NBC News, their reputational hit when Brian Williams was called out for saying he was shot down in a helicopter when he wasn't. And then Theranos, where Elizabeth Holmes took the company down, which was a complete house of cards. It was a fraud case. So it applies to both government and industry. And then we should be, both be approaching insider threat the exact same way. So we're not to say that we want to treat every employer contractor as a criminal, but instead we need to be prudent with our checks and balances and open to the fact that people could be deceiving us or making well-intentioned mistakes. I think all of that crossover, I mean, it reminds me of the conversation we recently had with Brian Dunbar at CACI about continuous evaluation, continuous vetting, and how commercial sector is really kind of starting to realize they need to care about this topic as well. It's interesting that insider threat, we still have this, I mean, five years on since the government codifying it. I think it's another example of how with more people working remote, with all of that, I think there's a lot of tie-in between those two topics, right? We want to continually vet our employees and know what's going on because there's just a lot of insider threat issues really touch into all of those other topics we're talking about, right? When we're talking about continuous vetting, a lot of things that we're talking about tie into this insider threat topic as well. Agree. Some organizations track financial risk and non-financial risk within their either their finance organization or they may have a risk officer, someone who has the assigned risk duties. And then they look at insider threat as a separate little compliance piece you've got to have because of DCSA. Our approach is don't silo these things. You should basically take any risk program you have and bring everybody together into one organization, one working team. It doesn't mean that security owns it any more than finance owns it, but you could you both be aware of where the risk is within your organization and how to mitigate that risk. Because there's really only three things you can do with risk. You can either transfer it, you can mitigate it, or you can accept it as is. And some organizations do. You see a risk out there and go, yep, I know that's out there. I've got provisions for that if it happens, but there's really no way to mitigate it. We're just going to live with it. And that's fine. 
but you need to be aware of it. You can't silo your security operation. One of the points that you made at NCMS that I love was you can't silo your reputation either. So we kind of, you know, if something hits your organization, it's going to hit across the organization. You can't really just throw that one entity under the bus and just say it happened there. Why should people outside of the security organization care? And then how can folks maybe in security help to get that buy-in across their company to actually care about this thing called insider threat? Right. I I think it's got to be part of your culture within the organization, right? So it's important to try to shape a culture throughout the organization that really values reputational risk. Getting employees to understand the impact of their actions on the organization as a whole is going to pay long-term dividends. As, As we said, and you mentioned a moment ago, just because it's some division in North Dakota that has an issue, it carries the name of the entire organization. And it will be, I assure you, in the media reported as the entire organization. They probably won't be standing outside the little office in North Dakota. They'll be standing outside of the headquarters in Washington or New York reporting this event. So getting employees to understand the impact of their actions. And then think about, from your own organization standpoint, the social media profiles of your employees who list their employment and how quickly their inappropriate posts become your reputational hit. You know, another parallel that I see is within the the safety organization within multiple companies that I've either studied or worked in. There are nowhere near as many safety employees as there are security employees. Yet we really have fairly good or very strong, actually, safety programs because employees inherently think safety from their own personal life and they bring that same philosophy into the workplace. How do we get that same philosophy that we see within safety and the employees, the way they embrace safety, to get them embrace security. When in actuality, security is just as big of a threat now for them as safety ever was because just their own computer time on their personal profile, bullying to their children through social media, through texting or whatever. So there's a lot of different security aspects in people's personal lives that I think overwhelm them. So part of A good security program within an organization is actually train some of your employees on these security things that apply to their home and get them to begin to put that into their culture. And then think about how does the reputation, how do what you put on social media now that you've announced that you belong to X, Y, and Z Corporation, how does that affect the corporation? I love that. I feel like that's a great takeaway and something that a lot of companies or organizations should look to apply because I do think we feel this like almost true overwhelm with the amount of security issues and possibilities to kind of screw something up online. So how can companies really make that easier and kind of apply how what they're maybe doing for online safety or company safety, reputation management for their workplace, how that would also apply or transition or tips for how it actually applies to them being safe and smart and secure online and what they do when they're not in the office. And that ties into my next question too. You asked at one point in the presentation for folks to raise their hand if they still had folks working remotely for a totally kind of cleared conference situation. I was surprised how many people raised their hand. I think this hybrid model is here to stay. And so we are going to have that moving forward where folks are going to have to try to mitigate, protect, train against insider threat while a segment of their workforce is not coming into the office, at least definitely not every day. How do you kind of think about remote work and insider threat? Does it change the model or is it business as usual or what makes that different? It's a great question because a lot of organizations, if I take some of the finance people I've known through my career, they would be celebrating that we're closing down these facilities and saving so much on overhead because of office space that we've reduced. 
But at the same time, there's a real, how, how do we integrate the new people we bring into an organization without bringing them into some social environment where they begin to know their coworkers and their coworkers know them? A lot of times the tips we get in the security program about an insider or someone who's taking a risk that probably shouldn't be taking a risk comes because they have a strong social network within the organization and someone sees something. So they say something that, that old, that old saying came from the department of Homeland security, see something, say something. How do you do that in a remote workforce? So I talked about diversity, dispersity and inclusion. So it's not a play on words. I don't mean to diminish by one iota, what we need to do to have a diverse and inclusive workforce. But the inclusion piece of diversity and inclusion is always the hardest, and it's going to be harder still with a dispersed workforce. You know, the components of of inclusion are listening, soliciting input, and then as a leader being comfortable with direction being challenged. It's harder now than ever to try to do this remotely. I think it's going to remain a challenge, and I'm not sure we still know what the mix of remote versus on-site work is going to be. And we've always always had this challenge. We've, we have a lot of contractor companies where they send workers into the, the government organization. So they, they already have this dispersed workforce. And what I found in some of the work that I've done in this area is program manager is the key. That's the person that's going to be the touchstone when it comes to dispersed workforce. And same is going to be true of managers in functional areas where they don't have a workforce that's in the building anymore. But I'm really more concerned about how do we form a social culture that actually makes people feel accountable and feel listened to. It's easy to hire a diverse workforce. It's very difficult to retain one if you don't value their input or they don't feel that their input is valued. That's the critical piece. And we talk about all the time when it comes to the diversity numbers within the IC, they can increase those attraction numbers, but the ability to retain folks through a career becomes a lot harder. So obviously you can't eliminate insider threats, but you can certainly can reduce risks. So what are some of the best ways for companies and organizations to try to do that? Yeah, well, first and foremost, security as a profession has to be approachable and react professionally to any lead that they receive on a fellow employee. You want to show a high degree of confidentiality and discretion when you're investigating what someone thinks might be happening with a coworker or when you've got reason to suspect a colleague is having an issue. So that, that professionalism is the only thing that's going to attract employees to come to us and share what they need to share. Secondly, training and openness. So you want to train your employees on what you do have for an insider threat, what expectation they can have of privacy, and what you're going to monitor. We give a lot of authority to our employees uh, in certain functions, and there should be no surprise when they hear that we we trust you, but we're going to verify you're doing what you should be doing. That's just a check and balance that we owe uh, our shareholders or the owners of our businesses. And then team approach. On an insider threat program, you're going to need multiple disciplines involved in the insider risk and threat. So that would be HR, uh, your IT department, both delivery and security. So IT delivery and IT security. Communications, because they're the ones that actually monitor what's going on with social media and mentioning the company. We want to know when somebody's saying something that they shouldn't be saying. Unfortunately, the uh, Highland Park shooting in Illinois, that alleged shooter had a lot of postings on social media that showed a strong propensity towards violence and school shooting. And there were clues and indicators that he was giving out there. And then internal audit, ethics and legal. Internal audits may not sound like the most logical person to have within the insider threat team, but they frequently see something when they're doing their audits throughout the organization. And the meetings that you have as a team can give them some suggestions or ideas of where they may want to go with an internal audit somewhere down the line. 
finally have a system of record for all of this. So you're going to want a security management software that interfaces with all the other systems of record, such as HR, and then use that to see your whole organization. Because as we mentioned before, the little site up in North Dakota the, that's actually had a problem employee, you can see that on the dashboard. that They're trying to fix something that they really shouldn't be trying to fix. It needs a, a far larger attention. And then that dashboard and that system of record it's agnostic as to the owner. It doesn't matter who the security lead is for that organization. As soon as one's out and another's in, you still have the same dashboard and you still have the same resources at your fingertips. So that's an incredible thing. You can't do this on an Excel spreadsheet and hope to be successful. That's a great point. And we have more challenges than we've had previously, but we also have more technological enablement. I mean, I think that's a big thing that DCSA is pushing with Invis and their technological push and saying like, hey, tech can help this. It's human plus technology. It's not either one, but we have a lot of things that we can use and apply to help enable our security professionals to do their jobs better. And you definitely want to be taking advantage of those things. (laughs) <laughs> because, you know, and I always push back, you know, we used to have the chatter about how, you know, oh, do we want all of this technology underpinning, you know, this human aspect of personnel security? I think we expect it now. I mean, we've all watched The Social Dilemma. We know that technology is out there and it's doing a specific function. And I think employees know that this continuous vetting piece is happening and monitoring what they're doing. And so how can we layer on all the different aspects of technology? If you really think about the electronic, the digital age that we're in right now, which is probably 15 years old, maybe. You're talking now that that the most recent statistic I heard that people are spending 12 hours of their day in a digital environment. And and we are 2.0 million years as humans on this earth. Only recently have we had such an enormous cultural shift to a digital environment where we're not spending as much time face-to-face. We have a wider circle of people we know, but we also leave a wider circle of indicators and you know footprints as to what we're intending to do. So there's something happening in our own psyches as a, as a people because of the amount of time we're spending on social media and in a digital environment. And I think to not monitor that would be foolhardy. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Tom Langer, for joining us for this episode and for talking about this important topic. I think insider threat is certainly not going away. I think it's a the critical way to protect your workforce and your company is to make sure that you have a good insider threat training program. And there are a ton of resources out there. You mentioned some of those, and we'll certainly include those in the show notes. So you don't have to do it alone. There are companies, resources, things out there to help you. And thank you again for this conversation, for helping me unpack this topic a little bit more, Tom. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.